Good morning. Welcome to First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Jim Moss. I'm a member of this congregation. <clears throat> I want to extend a special welcome to any visitors joining us this morning. Do we have any visitors? Since 1858, UUASA has served as a vital vo voice for liberal religion in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people, just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Between Sundays, we'd love to have you at one of our classes or events, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter and follow us on Facebook. I have a few announcements. We are seeking volunteers to provide flowers for our altar on Sunday mornings. To sign up, email admin at uuwasa.org. We have red coffee cups sitting in racks on the welcome table. Visitors are invited to use these during social hours so members can identify them more easily and initiate a conversation. And now, Joni Hahn, a member of the RE team, has a special announcement about this morning's podcast. Good morning. I want to extend an invitation to everyone to join us at the potluck this morning, which is being hosted by the Religious Education Committee. Many of you will remember that during this past winter and spring of 2023, the Religious Education Committee engaged our entire church in a revisioning process. First, we looked at the social and demographic shifts that have happened in churches like ours across the nation over the previous decades. Then we acknowledged how the pandemic had cracked open and exposed those fault lines into a vast new territory that none of us really know how to navigate. We allowed ourselves opportunities, time, and space to grieve. You all lovingly and honestly gave us your feedback in a series of focus groups, and we heard a very consistent message throughout from all of you, all of us. What we really want is for religious education to be intergenerational and to build community. We also heard this common refrain, Church has changed so much since my memory of the way church was before the pandemic. Sometimes it seems as if I hardly know anyone here anymore. So to do this well, to gather together as a community, it takes some skills, just like riding a bike, learning a new crochet stitch, learning long division. We need practice. 
The good news, according to author and researcher Brené Brown, is that the very kind of community that we seek can be brought about by our practice of three skills. She advises us to stay awkward, brave, and kind. So throughout this upcoming church year, we have planned several opportunities to do just such a practice. And today is the first one. Today we ask that everyone, whether you're visiting for the first time or you've been a member for decades, join us for our first potluck of the season at 1145, just after church services. So please gather your finger foods at the potluck buffet line, and then when everyone is seated, we will work together in what we guarantee to be a very playful, fun activity. Or you can come after us with pitchforks and run us off the RE committee. <laughs> However, Jess has made it very clear, if you do that, you have to take our place. We promise that you will come away having learned something new about yourself and will work together to build the very community that we all long for. As singer-songwriter Carrie Newcomer writes, within us, between us, is everything we need. So I hope you come and join us. Thank you. As we begin our worship together, let us take a moment to extend peace and blessing to one another. Please rise as you're able and greet your neighbors. Good morning. I'm Reverend Suzelle Lynch, your pulpit guest, recently uh, having driven up from Janesville, Wisconsin with my husband, Tom Ness. It is good to be with you this morning. And I invite you to find the words for chalice lighting in your yellow insert and read them along with me. They come from the Reverend Leah Derlin Jones. So let's say them together. As we light this flame, we remember friends and loved ones near and far, and we give thanks. As the fire burns brightly, we open our minds and hearts to new ways of being, and we feel alive. As the room glows with warmth and kindness, we extend our circle ever wider in welcome, and we know love. 
Now please rise in body or in spirit for hymn 128, for all that is our life. share with you the story of the green man. It's adapted from stories and faith, exploring our UU principles and sources through wisdom tales. Once upon a time, there was a young man who was very wealthy. He was proper and proud. Servants prepared his, prepared his favorite food each day, and they granted his every wish. One of the young man's favorite things to do was to ride through the woods that were part of his lands, hunting animals for sport. He thought the woods and all of the creatures in it belonged to him, and he could do with it as he pleased. As people in the village nearby, though, had a different idea about the woods, they told their children a story of the green man who lived in the woods and cared for all the small creatures. They even said that he had watched over the children when they were in the woods to keep them safe. The villagers faithfully let out, left out food on winter nights for the green man to eat. One autumn day, the wealthy young man decided to go on a hunt. He invited his friends and called to his servants to saddle up horses and get on their riding clothes. 
They rode into the woods, trampling nests and dens as they went, sending dogs out ahead to chase small animals out of their homes. But after a time, the young man got separated from the rest of his hunting party. He was looking for them when he came across a pond, a beautiful, clear, cool pond. How clever of me to have a pond in my woods to refresh myself, he said. The young man took off all of his clothing, folded them neatly under a tree, and jumped into the cool water. He swam back and forth, enjoying himself immensely. While he was swimming and splashing away, his hand reached out from behind a tree, or a hand reached out from behind a tree, and took his clothing and led his horse away. When the wealthy young man got out of the water, he discovered he had nothing to wear except a piece of rope. He took the rope and fastened some leaves to it to cover up. And when his hunting party came to look for him, he was so embarrassed to be seen dressed in nothing but leaves. So he hid until they went away. When night fell, he went looking for shelter and stumbled upon a cave. He didn't sleep much that night. It was dark and he was frightened and he kept hearing animal noises. In the morning when the daylight came, he saw there was, that he was not alone in the cave. There was a goat and a chicken, and he also found a gourd for drinking water. Someone had been living in that cave. Over time, the wealthy young man settled into life in the cave. He fashioned a whole garment out of leaves. He ate eggs from the hen and drank milk from the goat. He even covered his hands and arms in mud so he could reach into a beehive to eat honey without being stung. He became acquainted with all the small woodland creatures and he cared for them, helping them get over swollen streams after heavy rains fell, making sure they had food and water, and sheltering them in the cave on chilly nights. One day when he was foraging in the forest for acorns, he came across two small children who had been cornered by a fierce wild pig. He chased the pig away and the children looked at him with wide eyes. He was covered head to toe in leaves and mud with a wild-looking beard and hair, kind of like Garrett's up there. <laughs> he looked ancient and moss-covered as the tall tree that stood behind him. Are you the green man, the children asked. The wealthy young man looked down at the children in surprise. Warm sunshine caressed his hair, and the breeze rippled the leaves in his garment. His feet felt like they were rooted to the earth. Yes, I guess I am the green man, he said. No longer looked anything like the wealthy young man he had once been. He filled the children's basket with acorns and helped them find their way back to the edge of the village. When winter came, the green man was happy to go into town at night and take the food that the villagers left out for him, sharing it with his animal friends. Time passed peacefully until one, one warm day when a hunting party came to the woods. The green man hid behind a tree to watch, and a rich young man, separated from his hunting group, decided to take a swim in the clear, cool pond. He left his clothes under a tree, and the green man reached out and yoink, took all the clothes and the horse, leaving behind his garment of leaves and rope. He trimmed his hair and beard with scissors from the horse's saddlebag, and when he rode through the forest until he found his home. When he arrived, everyone was overjoyed to see him because they thought something horrible had happened to him. It was the green man who saved my life, was all he said. But something about him had changed. After his time in the woods, he paid attention to the animals and the plants and the people around him. 
After his times in the woods, he no longer wanted to hunt for sport, and he didn't let his horse trot over the homes of small animals. And after his time in the woods, he always remembered to leave out food for the green man. And that is our story for today. This morning, our children and youth can choose to remain in worship with their families or head to our RE programs this morning. Children's Chapel is meeting downstairs for children in preschool through sixth grade. And the Connections Cafe is meeting upstairs in Walker Hall on the top floor. And I'm very sorry to say that the elevators are out of order, so you'll get your exercise if you're going to the top floor for our youth in seventh through twelfth grade. And I invite everyone here this morning to join in blessing those remaining in worship and those heading to RE with our children's song. The words are printed in your order of worship. Please join your hearts and minds with mine now for a time of quiet meditation. Spirit of life and love, spirit breathing in us and through us and all around us, reaching out from each of us to touch all the others in this room and reaching out far beyond these walls to touch all living things across our good planet Earth. Spirit of life and love, open your gracious, mysterious, intimate presence to us in the quiet moments, through familiar things, like the call of a chickadee, the gaze of a cat, the view of tree leaves changing color now, fluttering in breezy sun or glistening and jeweled with drops of rain. Call to us too, spirit of life, with your big voice. Awe us with thunder, with lightning, or with the presence of injustice to which we must respond. Respond with our hearts, our hands, and our voices, whether our voices are big, or small. Admit us to union with something greater, the awesomeness of the ultimate, a universe so vast, we fall in when we even think of it. We fall in to the vastness and are caught, held, cradled in the arms of that which we know by many names and by no name at all. Spirit of life and love, the human journey is full of peaks and pitfalls, love and despair, memories of mistakes and memories of magnificence. Walk with us on the journey. Be with us now. 
as we continue for a moment in shared silence. Spirit of life and love, you whom we know by so many names and by no name at all, breathe in us and through us and all around us this day. Shalom, blessed be, ashe, and amen. Our prayer hymn today is in your program notes, and we will sing uh, the first verse just to refresh your memory on how this sounds, and then we'll repeat that so you can sing with us, and then we'll finish up the song.
The, minister, the mission and ministry of UUWASA is made possible by the generous support of our friends and members. You can place a gift in the basket as it passes by. You can also stop by our website, uuwasa.org, to make a one-time or recurring gift with your credit or debit card. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your generous giving to support your congregation. Having been a longtime parish minister, I know how much it means to a congregation when its members invest in its life with the treasure not only from your time, but also from your treasury. And I'd also like to say a wonderful thank you to the choir and to Margaret. The music is just divine. Our reading for today is a poem from um, Palestinian-American poet Naomi Shihab Nye called The Art of Disappearing. When they say, don't I know you? Say no. When they invite you to a party, remember what parties are like before answering. Someone telling you in a loud voice they once wrote a poem. Greasy sausage balls on a paper plate. Then reply. If they say, we should get together. Say, why? 
it's not that you don't love them anymore. You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees. The sound of the monastery bell at twilight. Tell them you have a new project. It will never be finished. When someone recognizes you in a grocery store, nod briefly and become a cabbage. When someone you haven't seen in 10 years appears at the door, don't start singing him all your new songs. You will never catch up. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. And here ends the reading.
we can deny it no longer. The seasons are definitely turning. The long light days are fading and the leaves are turning red and yellow and some are already falling to earth, disintegrating on our lawns and in piles at the curb. And some hidden part of us, knowing that winter will set in before we realize it, some part of us is telling us to hurry up, hurry up. In the midst of all the things that make demands on our attention, all the news and information, the family urgencies and emergencies, the projects and worries and fears, we face the truth that just like other animals, we human beings have to get ready to weather a cold, dark season. Even if we don't need to frantically gather nuts like the squirrels do, we still feel that psychological pressure to do something, do it now, before the snow comes, do it now. But Naomi Shiadnai has good advice. Walk around feeling like a leaf, she says. Know you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. I wonder if some of you might be familiar with the story of Freddie the Leaf. Anybody know Freddie the Leaf? Yeah. So it was written by Leo Boscaglia, and it begins in summer when Freddie the Leaf had grown large. Freddie was a maple leaf who had begun as a small sprout on a large branch near the top of a tall tree in the springtime. But by summertime, Freddie's midsection was big and strong and his five extensions were firm and pointy. There were hundreds of other leaves on Freddie's tree, all the same, yet all different. The leaf next to him was Alfred, Ben was the leaf on his other side, and Claire was right overhead. They had all grown up together and learned to dance in the spring breezes, basked in the summer sun, washed off in the cooling rains. Freddie's best friend was Daniel, the biggest and wisest leaf on the whole branch. Daniel taught all the leaves that they were part of a tree that had strong roots hidden in the ground below and that the tree was in something called a park. Daniel explained about the birds that came to sing in the branches, and he taught all the leaves about the sun and the moon, the stars and the seasons. Freddie loved being a leaf. He loved everything about it, the sky, the light, his friends, but he especially loved that warm summer sun and the soft, dreamy moonlight. That summer, the park drew a lot of people who came and sat in the shade under Freddie's tree. Daniel told Freddie that giving shade was part of his purpose. What's a purpose? Freddie asked. It's a reason for being, said Daniel. To make things more pleasant for others is a reason for being. To make shade for the older people provide a cool place to play for the children, to welcome the picnickers. These are all reasons for being. But summer soon passed, it vanished. 
and the 1st of October. Freddie had never felt so cold. All the leaves shivered, coated with a thin layer of white, which melted in the morning sun. Daniel explained that this was the first frost, the sign that autumn had come and winter would soon follow. Within days, all of the leaves started to change colors. And then, one day, something strange happened. The same gentle breezes that used to make the leaves dance now seemed to tear at them, almost as though they were angry. Some of the leaves were pulled from their branches and swept to the ground, and all the leaves were frightened. What's happening? They whispered urgently. What's happening? Daniel explained. This is what happens in fall, he told them. It's time for the leaves to change their home. Some people call it to die. Will we die? asked Freddie. Yes, everything dies, said Daniel. No matter how big or small, how strong or weak, we grow, we experience the sun and the moon, the wind and the rain. We learn to dance and to laugh. We find our purpose. And one day, we die. Well, Freddie was sure he didn't like this, no matter how much he trusted his friend Daniel. He was afraid, even as he saw other leaves letting go and dropping quietly from the tree. He said, I won't die. Will you? And Daniel answered, yes, in time, I will. When is it time, asked Freddie. No one knows for sure, said Daniel. A little while later, Freddie had another question. Daniel, does the tree die too? It is strong, but yes, it will die someday, Daniel answered. But there's something even stronger than the tree. Life, life lasts forever, and we are all part of it. Freddie asked, but what's the reason for all of this? What's been the reason? Why are we here at all if we only have to fall and die? And Daniel replied, it's been about the sun and the moon, about the shade and the old people and the children. It's been about being together and laughing and learning to dance. It's been about community. It's been about love. That afternoon, in the golden light before dusk, Daniel let go. He fell softly, smiling at Freddie as he went. Then Freddie was alone in the gathering darkness, the only leaf left on his branch. At dawn, as the first snow was falling, a wind came and it lifted Freddie away from his branch. It didn't hurt at all. He floated down, seeing the whole tree for the first time in all its strength and beauty. He knew that he had been part of its life, and he felt proud. When Freddie landed and settled into the snowy ground, he didn't know that spring would follow winter and that the snow would melt into water. 
He didn't know that his self would eventually join with that water and serve to make the tree even stronger. And he did not know that there, asleep in the tree, were plans already for the unfolding of new leaves in the spring. My mom gave the Freddie the Leaf book to my dad in the mid-1980s, not long after, after the book was published. My father's name was Fred. <laughs> I found the book at their house when I went to Michigan in the summer of 1993. That was the summer my dad had to have emergency prostate surgery, and he needed somebody to help him afterwards. My mother couldn't do it, she, um, at that time, was having some significant mental health issues, so significant, in fact, that my parents had separated from one another. We didn't know if my father had cancer or not. All we knew was that he needed to have this surgery immediately, right now. So I flew to Michigan from where I lived in the Seattle area, responding to the urgency in his voice on the phone and the urgency in my own heart. I was terribly afraid that I would lose him. And seeing him lying in a hospital bed made the fear even worse. He looked so vulnerable and so small. I was terrified, I was so scared, and yet I had to be strong. Little did I know that he would actually be up and around in just a few days enjoying himself immensely as he ordered me to pick the fallen branches up off his lawn before I mowed it for him. A few years after my father's cancer scare, one of the members of the congregation I served in Washington State was diagnosed with bone marrow cancer. His name was John, John Matten. John was a wonderful man, generous and helpful, brilliant and very cranky a man devoted to his family, his work, and to our congregation. He was actually the pathologist for the entire county, Kitsap County. And so he analyzed his own blood sample and diagnosed his own terminal cancer. Can you imagine looking through a microscope and seeing the end of your own life? Just before he went into the hospital to have some difficult surgery, John asked me if he could give a sermon. And of course I said yes. On that Sunday, when he stood up in the pulpit, John pulled a crumpled brown paper bag out of his briefcase and he reached into it and he took out a big, lifelike, plastic tarantula and he set it on the edge of the pulpit. He talked about his cancer, about what it was like to find out that his life expectancy, which he thought would be long and generous, was suddenly very short. As he spoke about his life, what he felt he had accomplished and what he had hoped to do, he took the tarantula and he first put it on his wrist. And then he moved it 
to his arm and then his shoulder. And then suddenly it was on his neck. So close, so intimate, this threat to his life that he hadn't known was there until it was too late. At the end of the service, John reached back into his crumpled paper bag and he gave every person there a plastic tarantula or a scorpion or some other life-threatening creature, reminding us that few of us know when it will be our time to let go, to fall, to die. This is not the tarantula he gave me. I couldn't find that one to bring here today, but I still have it. We don't know how long we have. And yet all of us do know that our time is limited, don't we? That knowledge is tucked away somewhere in the mind of every human being. It's just how we're made. As far as we know, we alone, out of all Earth's creatures, face life's choices, face every act of our being with the understanding that someday our being will cease. Of course we know. But most of us don't think about it all that much. As a matter of fact, we're encouraged to not think about it. Thinking about death in Western culture, at least, is considered morbid or gloomy or bad luck or seen as unhealthy for the mind or the spirit. And there's a seed of truth there for thinking over much about death can frighten us. It can almost paralyze us. It can strip us of our sense of purpose. We ask the question, like Freddie the Leaf, why are we here at all if we're only going to die? And so caught in the middle of all that, we lose ourselves in the noise and distractions of life. We lose ourselves in our plans, our problems at work, our goals for our children or our grandchildren, our fighting families, our focus on the news. We act like life is limitless until someone or something reminds us that this is not so and we are again awakened. The summer that I helped my dad after surgery in those anxious days before we knew that his doctors had removed all the cancer, before we knew that he would be all right. My father and I lived in a state of heightened consciousness, remembering what was too important to forget, love and family. He realized that he didn't want to lose my mom, and they reconciled. I realized how precious they both were to me and that I wouldn't have them forever and it shifted our relationship in significant ways, and in fact led to me moving here to Wisconsin in 2003. We never know what will awaken us. It could be something as simple as the sound of church bells. It could be something close up, like a serious illness in someone we love, or something as seemingly remote as the news about war in Ukraine. 
It could be like the green man story that we lose our privilege somehow and are forced to adapt to the world in new and different ways. Maybe it's the terrifying yet hard to fully grasp reality of climate change that wakes us up. It could even be something as simple and common as the falling of leaves. But no matter what it is that wakes us up, awakening brings choice. Like Freddie, we can tremble and hide and cling until the wind strips us from our branch. Or we can dare to walk around feeling like a leaf. We can dare to touch our limits and feel the sacredness of that action. Like the Buddhists say, I am of the nature to grow old. I am of the nature to die. We can touch the sacredness of that remembering. If we dare to let go of the branch in this way, we step through a doorway to depth. And nothing is better at sharpening our ability to cut through the noise and distractions of life. Just that simple phrase, walk around feeling like a leaf, can remind us to pay attention to what's too important to forget, that we have to tend our inner lives if our outer actions are going to be congruent with what's really dear to us. I think this is what Naomi Shihab Nye is encouraging us toward. It's not that she's against parties. I don't think so. It's not that she's against reuniting with old friends. She's just saying, don't spend your precious moments on the surface of life. Take time to appreciate the depths, the beauty, and the complexity of your one wild and precious life. Consider who you are and why you're here. What's your purpose? Take time to remember what you love and whom you love. To remember your values. Take time to ask how you might live them more truly. Walk around feeling like a leaf. Remember what matters most to you but even more so to your community and perhaps to the great living earth that all life depends on, especially our own. This blessing is here before us right now. Will we allow ourselves to receive it? I am trying to receive it. I hope and pray that you will as well. Shalom, blessed be, Ashe, and Amen. Our hymn, which I think brings this message to us with even more clarity, is number 331, Life is the Greatest Gift of All. So if you would rise in body or in spirit.
it is to have shared this hour here in your beautiful space. May we take this moment to give thanks for another day and give thanks for this community and for all those in our lives who have brought us warmth and challenge and love. When we go forth, let us open ourselves here now and always to the process of becoming more deep, more rich, more whole process of living more fully, of giving and forgiving more freely, of understanding more completely the meaning of our lives here on earth. Shalom, blessed be, ashe, and...